travel's really different and and that makes it in the kind of legacy of the of, of the payments industry that makes it quite high risk because you might be handing over thousands of dollars euros or pounds you know days weeks even months sometimes years before you actually can kind of consume the trip if you like hi there I'm Sebastian Leitner, and welcome to The Turndown, a podcast for hoteliers hosted by Cloudbit. I have to talk to you about James Lemon from Stripe. He's the head of travel at uh, Stripe, and he's such a fun guy. I had a great conversation with him. He's the kind of guy who you want to have a beer with, first of all. He's a really nice chap, but uh, he's also super experienced, brings a lot of wealth of information and knowledge and experience from hospitality. I think he started his career in hotels. And then on top of that, you know, he's been able to establish over the years a huge network of um, of industry influencers. He's very well connected and he's a continuous learner, really smart guy, really inspiring conversation and some great insights around, you know, what are some friction points in payments and how to overcome them. Welcome. Uh, I'm super excited to be joined here today by James Lemon. He's the global lead of travel, transport, and leisure. It's quite the mouthful. James, welcome. Thanks, Sebastian. Good to be here. Well, you know, my opening question is to do with our the name of this podcast, which is, you know, the turndown, of course. Uh, what is keeping you up at night these days, James, um, as a global lead travel, transport, and leisure at Stripe? Yeah, so... Um... Generally, I sleep pretty well. I have to say, uh, kind of post-pandemic, things feel a little bit more things feel a little bit more na- uh, normal for our industry and the things we're all trying to get done in our in our day jobs and our home lives. Perhaps I think if I was to focus straight in on um, where there are still challenges, I'm genuinely concerned about the hospitality and the wider industry's ability to retain great people. Um, okay. I think that it it definitely came about during the pandemic that. Um, whether you're on the front line, whether you're in ops, whether you're in HQ, whether you're in tech, hospitality is not always the most kind of vibrant first choice career. And I see lots of people now trying to work on that. And I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. But I think we've still got a way to go. If we want to deliver the amazing experiences we think the industry deserves, if we want to be the kind of innovators we want, um, you know, there's a group of us, you're probably one, I'm probably one that, you know, we're spending our lives in this industry and we absolutely love it to bits. But I do worry that the next generation of leaders, um, the next generation of, of teams in our in our hotels and running our businesses, um, may choose other things to do with their time as new career options become available. So that's probably the, the number one thing. Right. I, and, I dwell. And you're a great example, right? You started in the hospitality industry as well. It's at, at least at some point you spent quite a few years at IHG, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm one of those people that if, I love to tell the story that it's kind of in my blood. I I grew I, up largely in a bed and breakfast on the Isle of Wight, a tiny island off the south coast of England. Um, my mum used to turn the place over to sailing crews in the summer because it was a, a uh-huh. sailing town. I slept in the garden and spent the day making beds and making breakfast for That's people. Awesome. So I then kind of moved through kind of cafes and restaurants. But yeah, a- absolutely. As a, as a grown-up, if you like, I, I went through, got my finance qualification at Unilever, but I, I came back to the industry and always wanted to work in hotels. Um, I definitely still get this buzz on my... Uh, kind of former colleagues LinkedIn when these amazing hotels are opening or these fabulous resorts are popping up. Um, so for me, I've always known it's an industry I want to be associated with. Um, and I'm really glad I did my time in operations. I'm really glad I did my time kind of in a hotel chain. I don't think everyone has to do that, but it's a really lovely, lovely place to work in a, in a, in a provider of, 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 of travel. 
So how how do we as an industry solve this problem that you you know express meaning you know the talent recruitment and retention if you will? Yeah, I think it's easy. It's probably easy to say, oh, if I had the answer, Sebastian, like I would have done it by now. I actually yeah. tried to do this for two years, right? So Atollo, okay. Atollo was our kind of community and mentoring platform for for, for the industry, which I exited last year, and um, there is certainly a group of people in travel who share our passion and right. they share this kind of sense of challenge and you know we should be mentoring we should be giving our time back um but i think there are probably aren't enough people coming through who that's really clicked for yet uh it is just a job it is just a paycheck um it is just what they're doing till their career starts um there are many reasons why that is that we won't have time to unpick here i think we probably don't attract people to the industry um in the right way you know we, we don't really sell it on its benefits of of that kind of skill set of creating amazing experiences that aspect of, of service and, and actually how you should be proud to have that in any career you go on to i don't think we necessarily pay people fairly compared to the money that is being made by some people in this industry oh, yeah. i don't think we necessarily give them the right tools and tech to use you know we still train people up for months on technology they're just not going to see anywhere else um so i think all of those things probably contribute but at its core there's other issues like probably some old working practices around working hours and around culture and around how we treat people in their first couple of years in, in the industry I, i used to say that actually your first couple of years in any industry is really hard because uh -huh. the hours are longer the pay is worse and the learning curve is at its steepest so i don't think hospitality is unique after that there are some amazing jobs in hospitality and there's also incredible entrepreneurship which is even better you can go on and do your own thing um But it, but I, it does worry me that not enough people really see how great hospitality can be, and not enough employers are thinking about the the operations, the tech, the the way, the experience, if you like, that their that their their teams will have. Yeah, I'm based in Canada, and uh, I recently came across the Canadian uh, Hotel Association running a, a huge social media campaign to attract both local but also international. Uh, hospitality teams uh, yeah. ahead of the peak travel period, right? Like whether that's, you know, get a visa and, you know, stay near a, a Canadian national park or, you know, choose the career in hospitality. So, so I'm, I, it's great to see that the industry is doing something to attract young talent. Um, reversely, what's le what lets you sleep easily? You already said, you know, you, you sleep fine, but uh, I, I'm curious what, what makes you happy. Let's put it this way. So I, um, on, a, on a personal level, mm -hmm. I have finally started to claim back some hobbies, if you like. So nice. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a parent of, of um, two kids that are now kind of 12 and 11. So I think I'm just beyond that really challenging stage of kids needing you 24-7. Um, yeah, they can make it to school on their own. They can generally take care of their, their hygiene. So the Absolutely. last couple of years, I've I've claimed back. One is um, I've always had a passion for for wine, and I'm starting to take a bit of kind of wine education. Um, that's fantastic to just use a different part of my brain for part of the day and uh -huh. not be thinking about um, yeah, not just be thinking about about work and about technology and about payment. So it's really exciting to um, almost be back at school, really being lectured to, writing up revision notes, uh, nice. listening to podcasts. And then the other is is sport. So yeah, no surprise. And lots of us are trying to stay on top of our health. Um, in addition to running, which I've always kind of literally plodded along, um, mm -hmm. I've uh, taken up ultimate frisbee, which is a sport I played at university. 
which is an incredibly elite top sport for those people <laughs> who might who might mock it if you're into American football, basketball, soccer, rugby. But let me tell you, ultimate frisbee is a phenomenal ultimate sport. Frisbee. Of, uh, is it an Olympic discipline yet or not yet? That's that's a great question. If that's the threshold you're looking for for a great sport, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think it is actually, but it's incredibly inclusive and it's uh, great for people who uh, are more all-rounders rather than elite in any particular area of sport. But anyway, but, no, in, all, in all seriousness, Saturday mornings, kind of 20 kind of people by age, let's say, uh-huh. throwing a disc around in a local park. It's it's just incredibly refreshing after the few years we've had just to kind of have that kind of uh, that banter and friendship groups, kind of get that exercise out of your system. Um, so I think, yeah, re- reclaiming a bit of my own time, uh-huh. especially coming out of a, a pretty challenging pandemic and running my own startup for a couple of years, that was exactly what I've, what I've needed. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to to that age where my four-year-old son is completely independent. I'm working on it. He's getting dressed. He's, you know, doing the the primary things, but he also loves dad's attention, at least in yeah. the morning, getting him to school, et cetera. So I, I have to say, I wish I hadn't waited so long. I think it, if I could do it again, I would probably have tried to never give up a couple of kind of passions that I had and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe even got to try and find passions if i hadn't quite if they hadn't quite clicked yet wine for example is like like brand new to me and uh-huh. I, was like, oh, I wish i'd always kind of listened to podcasts about this or uh-huh. taking more courses on this because i think it, it it does just lighten up a different part of your brain right i think it helps your helps your creativity to think about more than more than work and also mental health right like you have you know life outside of what you're doing for most of the day um i'm, I'm curious you know, in your role, what's a common myth about what you do at Stripe? Um, a common myth about what I do about Stripe. I think I. How can I separate that to common myths about what Stripe does? I, I think uh, is is an interesting one. Stripe's in a really interesting position in the travel industry because mm-hmm. a, a common myth that Stripe has about itself, perhaps, is that almost everyone knows who they are and what they do. Right, okay. a, a kind of a disruptive payments technology that's emerged over the last decade. Um, but actually, I think outside the world of you know digital native platforms and startups and technology leaders, um, it's really telling. As I try and build their profile in the travel industry at travel industry events. I still regularly get hoteliers, restaurateurs come to me and say, "Oh, Stripe, never heard of that. What, what, what is that?" So um, one big myth about me is a big part of my role is probably myth busting and actually just kind of opening nice. the door and, and, and explaining what it is. I, I think. Um, the biggest myth about me is probably you, you don't have to be an expert on everything. So I think one of the, I guess, I guess something that is, you, as I thought about my career, I thought, goodness, you're going to have to know so much about absolutely everything. Uh-huh. Um, and coming to a company like Stripe, that's quite intimidating because payments is, is incredibly detailed. Uh, it, obviously, there's a huge amount of security and there's a huge amount of complexity in making sure that this kind of legacy industry can, can modernize in a way that you know, modern companies need. But actually, it's kind of, you know, right company, right role. What they were asking for is, actually, can you come into Stripe and tell us about travel? We actually have 7,000 other people who know a lot about payments, James, but we don't have anyone who knows what's on the mind of a hotel executive, what's on the mind of a technology company that works in the travel industry. So I think uh, uh, I I definitely um, love the fact that I don't need to be a detailed payments expert. I need to just really be abreast of the industry's challenges. I need to know how Stripe can play a part. And then I need to know how to call on the right people in my external and internal networks to kind of bring together communities to 
to kind of yeah move the industry forward in the world of payments and payments tech. That makes sense. That makes sense. You you alluded to an interesting uh, comment or interesting fact. It's like payments is is one thing, but uh, how is payments different in the travel industry? Is it different or is it more complex? Help us understand sort of how is hospitality and travel different in payments than any other business, if you will. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that I've I've learned about, and and the initial initially you don't think of them as particularly exciting. Actually, I think I think one thing is that the place where you buy something and the place where you actually use it is often completely different mm-hmm. by its nature of travel. Uh, you know, when it, you know, whether it be hotels or, or airlines or whatever. The other is that the time that you buy something versus the time you need it is often completely different. And that's actually pretty rare in payments. If you think about like your online ordering, pretty much you click on something and you're expecting it there within within a couple of days. And really it's just yeah, over to the merchant, over to the business if you like, hey, just get this fulfilled. Travel's really different. And and that makes it in the kind of legacy of the of, of the payments industry, that makes it quite high risk because you might be handing over thousands of dollars, euros or pounds, you know, days, weeks, even months, sometimes years before you actually can Kind of consume the trip if you like mm-hmm. um, it also means that kind of information you hand over about maybe credit card details or might end up you need to end up on a completely different side of the world for a hotel to be looking after it safely until you arrive so i think there's a couple of different dynamics there that um to the payments industry they look at travel and go we really need to understand this better because it's not like the rest of you know retail and and kind of instant on the spot consumption so i think that's that's probably a couple of technical things. I uh-huh. think the I think the more important thing, the thing, I, the area I love to focus on is that actually, the whole of our industry is built on experiences, and we all, I think, share this passion to go back to the glory days of travel, where um, you know you, your whole journey can feel seamless and frictionless, and you can just get on with doing what you need to do. And that might be, obviously, we probably think of holidays and we think, oh, I just want to get away with my family and I want it to be relaxed and I'll kind of worry about worry about the money later or, or whatever. But I think it's also true on a business trip. If we're like, look, I'm, I'm only in town for three days. I need to get around, have these meetings, you know, be effective. And so the role that payments plays in that is quite different because you might be interacting with 10, 20 different companies, merchants on that trip. Uh-huh. But if every time you go back a few years, you're getting out different notes, but now you're getting out your card and you're paying in different ways and everyone's asking for a wallet and everyone's asking for you to, to do X and do Y and can I pay my local payment method? Do I use Google Pay and Apple Pay? You've got all this stuff that's just making it inherently inherently complex. Again, you don't really have that in other industries. If you're in retail, you click, just want it to get, it, get out of the way that checkout experience where you pay doesn't really need to be an experience nor if it detracts from the experience is it really going to ruin your day or your or your holiday but i think in in travel it can and, and just some tangible examples right there the, the the one taxi in town that doesn't take a card and you're in you know late for a meeting or you know waiting 30 minutes to check into a hotel or you know waiting 30 minutes to check out of a hotel or waiting in line for an attraction and all of this stuff I think can detract from just having an amazing travel experience. So I think there's probably a vision there that I could try and create. Well, what if we can make that better? What if I could get, we can kind of get a whole team together at Stripe and go, well, let's solve some of those problems because um, that will bring more people to travel. It will bring more travel users to Stripe, and hopefully, it'll get the world excited about 
you know, kind of, kind of traveling it. You must travel quite a bit. When was the last time you used cash? So, you know what? I was, I was in London yesterday and the taxi driver said he wouldn't take a card. And so really? we, were, we were literally scrabbling around saying, kids, has anyone, anyone got a £10 note? And doing that classic <laughs> thing where you watch, you know, we found one £10 note and you're just watching the taxi driver thinking, I may have to ask him to drop him off, drop us off like half a mile before our, before we, before our destination, just because it's the only money we have. Um, I, I'll give you a really good example. Is, uh, I was in Singapore in, in November <laughs> and obviously Singapore is, and, and the whole of kind of Southeast Asia, China, North Asia as well incredibly uh kind of payment savvy now you know the the idea of qr codes and digital wallets and payments it, it's actually a bit of a wild west you know different payments companies and even kind of ride sharing apps people like grab going into these cafes and saying right you're going to offer more perks more points if they pay with our wallet etc so all of that and i just loved geeking out on that kind of travel experience across hotels and restaurants and taxis but i did try and buy an iced coffee just on the way to a conference one morning I was in a long line of people and the lady was like, we, we only take cash. And it was about $2 for the equivalent of, yeah, 30, 40 uh, American cents. Anyway, the guy, I said, oh, I'll have to go find a cash machine or just forget about it. And the guy behind me said, let me just buy your coffees today. So I was like, oh, you know what? Reinforce my love of humanity and got a coffee. So all good. Out of all places, Singapore, I expected them to right. use a digital wallet or, you know, something. It, ju that... it just so happened that in a, such a contrasting culture of incredibly really? high tech um, mm -hmm. and in incredibly traditional. And and I really love that about Singapore. I lived there for six months and, yeah, to be able to go and, and eat in, yeah, again, a really high tech, exciting, innovative restaurants, but also to be able to go to the local kind of food markets and, and eat, eat local food tradition, in the traditional style is, is phenomenal. So I, I, I kind of get it knowing Singapore. I probably should have planned ahead a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious on your perspective of the future of travel and payments uh, experience. Uh, I've always lacked understanding of why I need to carry, you know, credit cards in my wallet. I'm hoping that one day I won't need to carry a physical card anymore. I thought my phone could replace that, but I don't think that's yet working, at least everywhere in the world. When you think of travel, let's say, and, and especially payments in 2030, what comes to mind? So I think... Um... I, I definitely share your vision, and I think part of it is a is a confidence thing, right? Yeah. I only just started going out without my wallet and only a phone, probably you know, eighteen months ago, two okay. years ago. I, I now go on the London Underground, and I can yeah. see other people using their Apple Watch. I think, oh, I hadn't thought I'd just actually just use my watch now. So, mm -hmm. so there's things are moving fast, and there's a mix of. Uh, practicality of actually will I get caught short and there's probably a, an element of confidence as well of you know I don't want to be embarrassed and, and, and not have not have the right stuff so as you say watch phone cards maybe even cash my my vision for um payments is definitely the payments becomes invisible right I I, I it's not inconceivable you may have to tap a watch but why should I actually do anything to get a card or cash out of out of my wallet and I think you're starting to see examples of that now. So an example I know we, we've chatted about before with the, the wider team at, at Hedna is you take something like Lyft, right? So mm -hmm. Lyft over the last, and, and, and all ride-sharing apps have, uh, over the last 10 years have started to build this kind of frictionless, invisible payments experience where I just register my details once mm -hmm. and then I just make my reservation and maybe I have to click, but I'm not really conscious that I've said, yeah, you're going to be charging my card. And what's really interesting for travel is it's a completely unknown amount. 
right? It, it, it Well, in some jurisdiction, but generally you go, you know, it's going to be somewhere in this range. I'll just pre-authorize your car for nothing. And so you could do the same in hotels. You could do the same with a restaurant bill. You then, they've confirmed your ID at some point. So you can then just get in a taxi, go for your ride, hop out of the taxi and, and carry on with your day. They're now out of tipping, which I think is a great feature um, for, for kind of the encouraging people into the industry. Right. Um, but what's really interesting is behind the scenes, of course, it's not that platform that's running the car. So they have to move that money to a taxi driver. Or if you're a food delivery app, you have to move it to a restaurant and to a scooter rider. And I think these kind of this idea of digital ecosystems that um, these huge companies have been building on Stripe in the last decade, that's where I start to get really exciting. Because I'm like, as a consumer, you might only have one experience. Or you might just say, look, I, I, this is the journey I'm going on. This is the, what I'm going to be doing. Let me just click once. And then someone else can just take care of moving the money around. And I know at some point I'm going to get charged, maybe up front, maybe at the end. But there may be two, three, there might be 10 different parties involved. Imagine if you could do that for hotels, plus taxis, plus restaurants, plus attractions, and you just go about your day. And then at the end of it, someone goes, bang, yeah, that's just deducted. And I think we'll start to see innovators like the Disney worlds of the world start to get it, start to get ahead of this. I think they already are where they own that whole experience. But I think it'll be really exciting when we can start doing that on city breaks and start to include two or three different parts of the travel experience. Um, I think that'll be that'll be really interesting. And then on the corporate side, you, you know, hey, why when everyone goes away on, on work, you know, can you not do the same thing? We see people like Navan, formerly Trip Actions, okay. doing exactly that with um, yeah, corporate credit cards and virtual issued cards by by Stripe. We go, yeah, it's getting easier and easier to book that on behalf of a company than it was. And if a company's got ten thousand travelers, that has always been complicated in the past. And really trying to strip out that complexity and keep it simple and make the expenses and the ops, the processes on the back end. So invisible payments, a kind of frictionless guest experience is, is definitely where definitely where I see things going. That's excellent. Excellent. Very interesting. I want to do a quick lightning round. So okay. I'm sure you've done these before where, you know, I just want to get your first impression of a word that I'm sharing with you. Uh, you know, anything that comes to mind can be a one word response, can be, you know, one sentence response. Um, so let's go at departure. Sprosser. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where do you mean want me to go? Where do you mean want me to go with departure, Sebastian? <laughs> I don't know. What comes to mind? That's okay. Airport, 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 waiting rooms. Okay. Luggage. Um, getting smaller. Direct versus OTAs. Indifferent. Experience should win. Okay. Distraction. My personality type. <laughs> <laughs> Digital marketing. Essential, but misunderstood. Social media. Um, what do I think of social media? <laughs> Okay, that's an answer. <laughs> we all need more of it. Okay. Housekeeping. Um, undervalued and too often unsafe. Okay, turn down. Optional. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love this round. This was generated. I probably took you off the road for... Did you get ChatGPT to write this one? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. Um, you know... A lot of us have spoken at various instances on the pandemic, et cetera. You know, travel stopped, our lives stopped, at least 
lives that we were used to. I'm curious what you as a person learned from it. I think um, my my pandemic journey probably was, I mean, I think everyone had, probably had their own pandemic journey, but I, well, I think I was in a really particular spot because prior to the pandemic, my time at um, Hostmaker, a big kind of home sharing startup came to an end. So I was about a year into working for myself, advising on innovation and strategy in the hospitality industry. So, so you can imagine the demand for that stopped almost immediately. So I think I was definitely had the rug pulled from me, probably is common to a lot of people, um, working in the hospitality industry, everything just kind of dried up overnight. I, I then spent the next two years building Atollo, this kind of community mentoring platform. So, so my pandemic journey is inherently linked with frankly, a really stressful time of my life when, um, I was genuinely trying to do something that I felt had vision and would hopefully uh, have kind of commercial value too, right. um, but wasn't able to reflect that, you know, fundraising, building a team, building products, finding product market fit, driving customers on, a, on the B2B side in hotel chains during that time was, was just inherently different to any other time in history. So I was definitely exhausted and borderline burnt out i think by the time uh you know we could say the pandemic came came to the end i i actually ended up consulting at stripe i was still doing the advisory business and 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 you could see suddenly work was picking back up end of end of 2021 start 2022 um but for me the spring of of 2022 was the time where i could see that you two years on my startup was was enough and and i'd kind of run out of mileage of what i could do with it I met some phenomenal new people who then went on to become its new owners. We exited. Like it, it just it couldn't have ended up better, really, given where I was and it was. But at the same time, Stripe came out saying, "Look, do you want to interview the, for this full time role?" And it just so happened that, um, yeah, it was exactly the right time for me. I've been working there four years, four years on my own, learned a huge amount. I'd always had that entrepreneurial itch, but the time to go back into a company of thousands of people and structure and other people building phenomenal products that I could just help bring to market. It was, it was just, it was just the right time. It was just the right time. So I think all of my lessons from lockdown and hindsight were good ones. Everything happens for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe you have to go through all of your experiences to be ready for the next one or for the next one to even appear. Um, but it was, it was really tough for me. And I, you know, I definitely, my relationship with my family and my kids got much tougher was that because of the pandemic and all that time together? Or was that because I was also trying to build a business at the same time and you know, couldn't sleep at night? So it, difficult, difficult time, I think, particularly. And I think for anyone in this industry, it was, it was, it was tougher than it was for anyone working in e-commerce, for example. Yeah, a lot of things changed also in respect to travel, but I'm curious if there's any change you've seen coming out of the pandemic and travel related that you did not expect. Um. I think if I, if I, if to be a realist for the moment, actually, I think we've probably gone back to some of the old ways of working faster than I thought we would. I think people probably say the same about broader society. Some of our uh-huh. working patterns, some of our family patterns, some of our travel patterns. It, it's like, oh, we've just gone back to how it was in 2019. So I, I thought there would be more of a transformation of um, the way we wanted things to be as a society and maybe the way we wanted things to be as an industry and, and as groups of leaders within that industry. Um, there's certainly still signs of optimism. I, I, the trend towards staycations, I think, is 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 here to stay. I think 
um, the trend towards more trust-based economies, whether that be kind of ride sharing or um, home sharing, I think are, are all things that got um, accelerated, which I think is great. Um, yeah, there's pockets of excitement, like, hey, we probably should be more efficient businesses. We should have probably have better cost structures, be more productive, use better, better use of tech, um, <laughs> you know, QR codes, some of these kind of minor things. But actually, at a general layer, I think we just go, we've kind of gone back to how we were before. We think about you know, airlines and hotel groups. I think that, well, I think uh, too many groups probably put their head in the sand a little bit for a couple of years and then came back and just went, actually, we can, we can kind of carry on as normal. So I think it's a shame. And I think we've probably missed a window there to, um, to change to more, better. to change more. Okay. What would you change? It's probably now what would I have changed, right? Correct. I think, I think now it's like, oh, well, here we are yeah. in 2023. It's just, it's, it's business as okay. usual. Um, what, what do I think I would have changed? I think that let's take technology, something you and mm -hmm. I are both really passionate about. Mm -hmm. I think I probably would have placed a much bigger emphasis in that downtime of, okay, we still have a capital base. We still have staff that want to do work. Um, mm -hmm. Let's actually do a proper tech transformation that we've let's been planning for years. Let's do the upgrade years. now. Right. And, 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 and yeah, I'm not going to pitch for one particular area of your tech awesome. stack, right? But I think you know, the way we work with our guests and that kind of CRM and loyalty piece, uh, I think, I think could be better. The physical experience in hotels, whether that be contactless check-in or just literally the design and experience of hotels, I think probably could be accelerated. And then, yeah, the kind of, the kind of back office technology, if you like, around property management systems, revenue management, payment stacks. I think it all probably had an opportunity to um, use the time we had and the people we had to go, let's let's make this better. And, and I think people will say, well, we never knew how long it would last and we had to conserve our cash. But actually, you know, working with hotel businesses at that time, there were still lots of people around, right? Well, yeah. And there were still lots, there were still guests in beds around, you know, particularly around kind of domestic and, and staycation. And a lot of the hotel chains don't own their hotels. So they were still in a position where they probably could have been um, slightly more innovative. Um, but we didn't take that opportunity. I think, uh, I think that, that, that's a, that's a real shame. I have heard pockets of, um, you know, optimism. Some hotel chains were working on that stuff, but, um, my, my sense is looking at the cultures of the big hotel chains, we're broadly back to where we were in, in kind of, you know, late, late 2019. And I don't think that much has changed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if there is a topic or an area that, uh, you're passionate about that I haven't asked you, uh, yet, um. Any questions you'd like me to ask you? Um, no, I think you touched on. I, I, let's let's talk about direct versus indirect, right? Probably okay. more than a, more than a one more than a one liner. I think this is a really interesting topic for the industry. It's it's obviously not right, new, right? and it, and and, yeah. and there are many many voices in this in this space. Um, my view is we should take more experience from the world of retail. Which is, you know, yes, it would be fabulous if people came to your stores and it came to you direct, but that has to be based on the experience you offer to people, no matter where they shop your products or how they shop your product. So, yeah, I've worked with hotel chains who have quite an anti third party kind of distribution uh, strategy. Okay. Even that is a gray area. We can get it going from there, but they're definitely a kind of high preferencing towards direct channels. And, and my sense is that that needs to be something that is very, very experience led. Let's be, let's a hundred percent of guests have an amazing experience that, uh, no matter what channel they come from. And then let's use our skills in marketing post stay and during stay 
to, to lock them in for the future. I think we too often lump together third-party channels, be kind of the second part of it, because actually, um, you know, in some segments like in business travel, for example, you know, you're almost never going to persuade a corporate that they should they should book direct, no matter how many times we've tried, because you have travel management companies and travel managers kind of reinforcing the the exact opposite, right? So you go, so then you go, oh, well, okay, well then the TMC is okay. And then, um, therefore, the GDS is okay. But then you go, well, the GDS is also distributing to that OTA. You go, well, okay, now it's okay some of the time. And, and in fact, yeah, channel strategies inevitably become way, way, inevitably become way too complex, right? So I think you just have to open up. Look, we are going to have a phenomenal third-party channel strategy. We are just going to be pouring customers in. Um, anyone who wants to try our brands can come in and try our brands. And I'm talking, by the way, about you know, car rental, airlines, hotels restaurants now you know everyone is is disintermediated and everyone is aggregated by by someone and there's also a huge amount of innovation in that space so i think you need to have a really nimble channel strategy and allow people in you know, almost no matter what the cost or certainly at reasonable cost but then we use our experience to, to bring them back i think as an industry we've made that far too complicated um mm -hmm. and i think we have over time made third-party channels the enemy or certainly otas the enemy but ultimately you know again uh it's lovely sitting in a company like Stripe where you see so much of the industry. If I look at how much effort an OTA, ExpediaBooking.com, but the smaller smaller players as well, look at how much effort they put into an amazing customer experience online, an amazing checkout, right? You can pay however you want in any currency with one click. As human beings, we're like, that's obviously the experience we're going to flop towards. So we just know, we know it is. And I think it's a real shame more hotel chains don't look to Stripe and go, well, wait a minute, wait, we could just have that tech out of the box and we can have a one-click checkout. Maybe the mindset's starting to shift now, but for me, I think until they get there, you can't constrain someone else for doing an amazing job in terms of user experience and checkouts and appealing to people. Um, you just have to keep up in your game initially with that kind of in-journey experience, if you're right, like at hotels, in a car, and on a flight. But over time, you know, it's up to you to upgrade your booking experience, not to, not to push down your experience on someone else's. Yeah, that's a great point. And, but I'm sure that a lot of hoteliers, or at least modern hoteliers, want that same experience for their guests as well, right? They want that frictionless payment and guest experience uh, in order to, you know, service that customer that makes it to their own booking engine and, and, and website. Uh, I want to, before we wrap up, I want to get back to a topic that was very passionate to you which had to do about, you know, training and educating and mentoring the next generation of, I guess, executives in hospitality or travel, sure. et cetera. If, if there's one piece of advice you give somebody starting in the industry today, what would that be? I think if I could have two. <laughs> sure. That would be great. Um, and they're, they're connected. I think, I think what, and I'm probably not known for originality, but I think, but I think they're important. One is, I think, is be, be an eternal student. I, th I think if you, know, you need to be on key newsletters like your kind of skiffs and focus right, you know, you should try and have a digital subscription to something like Harvard Business Review or, or mm -hmm. The Economist. You should enjoy podcasts like Master of Scale or How I Built This. Like it doesn't have to be travel stuff. But I, I think constantly realize that there are obviously millions more ideas and perspectives and facts out there than you'll ever have in in your head. So that would definitely be kind of my 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 first one there's a huge amount to keep up with uh -huh. just in just in travel let alone any any subsegment of travel it's when you start hearing the same um kind of discussion points and topics two or three times that you're like 
oh, okay, I, I, I'm starting to master that one. I get that oh, one. Right. Okay. Everyone's talking about the talent crisis, and here's a bit about that. Everyone's talking about OTAs and direct bookings. Here's a bit about that. Everyone's talking about tech stacks and agility. Okay, everyone's, I think it's really important that you, you kind of form your own point of view by standing on the shoulders of those that are are writing um, kind of independently. So that's, that's definitely the first one, I think. The second one is make sure you really build your own community. Again, probably a bit of a bit of a cliche, right? But I think knowing your community and your place in it is probably the number one thing that will then stick with you through your career in everything from asking people for advice or maybe selling to someone or um, having an opportunity to collaborate on something or maybe your next your next job. And, and I don't mean here generally selling. I genuinely mean human connection. So so go to events and message people ahead of time on LinkedIn or send them a LinkedIn invite and say, hey, Sebastian, I'm going to be at this event next week. I wonder if we could grab a, a coffee. You know, not as many people as you think actually do that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think it's in, people really do enjoy in this industry making, making connections with others. If I think about LinkedIn, LinkedIn's like the one social media that I do I do do. And I probably never did it before I worked for myself, but comment on other people's posts, right? Yeah. Don't just be a kind of a, a, a lurker who's just kind of clicking like and clicking the odd emoji. Like, actually go and write, oh, thanks, Sebastian. I really appreciated your thoughts on that. Or um, you share a link to something else you've read. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could literally be you know, 30 seconds of your time per post. Yeah. Just be like, what would be, what would be kind of insightful here? Because you will have, CEOs and execs and, and and people you admire writing back and going thanks James or sometimes happens to me I don't agree with that and, and but it, it doesn't have to be this and that kind of, opens up a conversation yeah it opens up because it, it doesn't have to be this radically controversial point right? it, sure. it could just be I really like your point there or I'm seeing the same in the UK it can be it can be what it be whatever you want but I think it's really important as an emerging leader and I wish someone had told me you know what you're doing now is valuable and important. It doesn't matter where you work in the travel industry. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how senior you are. So, so speak up and be present. You know, if you, if you're invisible, and you don't speak up, then we do risk you drifting off into other industries, right? It'd be like, oh, I'm just going to get paid more there. But this is an industry about people. So, if you start speaking up and being noticeable, you will be asked to join podcasts and asked to join panels. And <laughs> I, I remember I, I used to. I think there's a huge amount there around building community. It's something I'm really trying to do at Stripe is, well, okay, let's just get, you know, all of our customers or even prospects together in a city um, and have a few drinks and just, you know, maybe have a panel, maybe just have an informal discussion, maybe have a bit of a startup competition. But let's just get 30, 40 people from the same industry in a room talking and meeting each other. And eventually they may become Stripe customers, they may not. But the point is that you play this role of saying, look, we're in this industry and we want to connect people in this industry and and make sure you're staying in touch with the people you connect with and making sure you stay in touch with people you matter so there's there's an amazing quote again like this is this is not my quote at all but i think someone called charlie tremendous jones like an old self-help back but it's basically five years from today you know you're going to be exactly the same person you are today except for the books you read and the people you've met and that's really my two points right be an internal student and build your community um and today that might include podcasts and articles and audio books sure. but i can't think of a better way of thinking about making progress in your career i obviously wish i'd done more of it um but I'm trying to make up for it now excellent 
All right, this is a travel-related podcast as well. I'm curious, what's your favorite travel destination in the world? You know what? I think um, it probably still is New York. Uh, okay. Yeah, we we've been I've, I've been lots of times with work. I've been lots of times with the family, but I really I still think it's a city that has absolutely everything. Right? I think if you want to, you know, go ice skating in the middle of the city in the winter, it's it's free to go to Bryant Park if you bring your own skates. Yeah. It's obviously got amazing theater and food. You can get the you can get the kind of train for an hour, and you're at Coney Island, and you're on a beach with a really kind of fun fun fair. Um, I love I love the water, I love the seas, and just being able to kind of take a ferry and just explore different pockets of neighborhoods. Um, that's always somewhere I think that's been warm warm to my heart. Um, but obviously, London would probably come close second because there's no place like home. Excellent, James. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really, a pleasure to hearing your thoughts and insights and and sharing your wisdom on on this fantastic industry. Thank you for listening to The Turndown. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in next week as we discover new exciting guests.